The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. You are joined by Monica and myself, Lawson. It is 8.04 a.m. And unfortunately, Monica just winded, wound the blinds down. Wound, Because winded. it's so bright and sunny, wound. Wound, yeah. What? Well, but but I, I liked the light. I'm, I'm I getting, can't see. I'm getting cold in here. I literally can't see. True, fair it's enough. It's cold because I opened the window, not because I put the blind down. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Hey, you're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and we are going to have another clue for the quiz. Yes, Simon Peter cut off my ear with his sword. Who was that? I'm going to run through the quiz clues again because I've had some answers come in that Tell me we might need to just quickly rehash them. So who am I quiz? Uh, my relative, a servant of the high priest, challenged Peter, saying, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Uh, though the event for which I'm known occurs in all four Gospels, only John's account gives my name. I was one of those who went to seize and arrest Jesus, and Simon Peter cut off my ear with his sword. Only one person's gotten it right so far, and that's Braden. Mm. And uh, Braden, uh, yes, I know who you're talking about. You did misspell it, but we know that you mean... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, we'll, is, we'll it is a weird spelling. Name. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer. And if you do, you'll go into the draw to win Sue Rad's Food as Medicine, an incredible, amazing cookbook that we want to give to you absolutely for free. I love what you said before. From the perspective of a dietitian who knows what is good for the gut, who knows what will be good and healthy for you, but also knows how to make amazing, tasty food as well. So zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text. You are listening to the breakfast show here on Faith of Heaven. Got another correct answer coming through from Greg this morning, and we are going to do a Bible study about creation. Ooh la la! You know, we've we've talked a bunch about creation within our Bible study over over the time that we've been doing it in in the last quarter. You know, over the last weeks, mm-hmm. but. We are talking this week, the topic of our greater study this week is um, end-time deceptions. Uh, End-time deceptions. And we are going to be learning all about how that applies. So, wait a minute. I, I, I've done something wrong. Again, I, I failed. I have failed. What have I you was done? reading the wrong Bible study. So we're not doing creation? Uh, well, we can, actually, we can. Actually, we can. <laughs> but we're also going to be having a look at Babylon, too. Wait, it's, all, it's all coming together here this morning, guys. <laughs> Trust me. I, I, I just realized, I'm like, okay, so this, you know, this fits into our Bible study. And I was looking at the, the title at the top, and I'm like, wait. This doesn't fit into our Bible study, but it does. Trust me, it does. We're all gonna, it's all gonna come together. We're gonna be talking about creation. We're gonna be talking about Babylon. And we're gonna be, actually, we can talk about how those, those two ideas oppose one another. The idea that God created the world and the idea of Babylon and what they portrayed as the true worship of God. So, hmm, let's begin. I actually, I want to begin by going to the book of Psalms. So if you want to head for me, Monica, to the book of Psalms, you want to read 33 verse 6 to verse 9, well, verse 6 and verse 9. I am reading for the NKJV and it says this, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by all the host of them and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And verse 9 says, For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. I love this passage. For he spoke... 
And it was done. The psalmist here is not confused as to how it is that the process of creating this world takes place. Yeah, absolutely. He says, hey, he spoke and it was done. It was done. This sounds like a parent's dream. I wish their kids were this obedient. (laughs) They speak and get done. (laughs) They they would have the same power over their children as God God has over creation. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. He spoke and it was done done. He didn't speak and it started, you know, a process of evolution that took millions of years. He didn't or have to billions ask it multiple years. times. Yeah, that's right. He didn't have to go through a series or a process of death for it to come out of the other mm-hmm. side as somehow living. No, he spoke and it was finished. Done. In Hebrews 11 verse 3, the Bible says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were made not of things which are visible. Amen. So we... God brought things into existence through his own power, and he brought them into existence immediately, like Mm -hmm. when he wanted to create them. We know that it's over the process of seven days, but those seven days were, you could say, ordained by God. He said, yep, I want creation to happen over a process of seven days. If it was one day, it could have been one day. If it was ten days, it could have been ten days. If it was millions of years, it could have been millions of years. But again, that's not what the Bible describes. It's mm. not that God, the Bible describes it as seven days for a period of millions of years because God doesn't have the power to, you know, just enable himself to be able to make that quickly. No, he just did. He spoke and it was done. Now think about Babylon, right? And yeah. think about their system of worship and ba- just paganism in general, which is the idea of worshiping, well, appeasing the elements which you have personified and able to make gain from it. Um, you have to worship the sun, the moon, the stars, and that's that. What that is what necessitates so many gods. You know, like the question comes up: Oh, well, why are there so many gods in these religions? It's like, oh, well, it's obvious. You need a god for everything. Uh, there's not one God who controls everything. There's a God for everything. There is a God for the sun. There is a God for the moon. There is a God for the stars and the rocks and the, and the trees and the fish and the bears and the dragons. And there, there are all of these different gods, um, that make up creation rather than one God who has total and complete control and power over it. And we know that this idea was central to how it is that Babylon understood creation and religion and worship. Let's read some verses. Do you want to go firstly to Ezekiel chapter 8? Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 16. Ezekiel 8 and verse 16. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east, and they were worshipping the sun toward the east. Oof. Okay, let's... Rebellious? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is not what is supposed to be happening. Uh, let's read a little bit more um, about this. Do you want to go to 2 Kings chapter 23 for us? 2 Kings 23, and if you could remove, if you could read, sorry, verse 5. 2 Kings 23 and verse 5. Oh, let me just find it. Then he removed the idolatrous priests from whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem, and those who burned incense to Baal, the sun, the moon, and to the constellations, and to all the host of heaven. And then do you want to read verse 11 for us as well? 
Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Yeah, so here we're talking about two different stories in which um, we can see some of the prophets and the priests of Israel and Judah worshipping the sun. Mm. And we can see there the effect that paganism eventually had on Israel, that God's holy people, the people that were following him and that were called to be his representatives, are all of a sudden just just there, just there worshipping the sun in the temple of the Lord as well. Like it says in the Lord's house in that version um, in Ezekiel. And then we see here in Second Kings 23, we see that there are idolatrous priests um, who had dedicated all of these horses and chariots and all of these places of worship to the sun. And I think it's absolutely insane because think about it. You worship and follow a God who has power over all things. Mm -hmm. Yet you would give that up to worship one of the things that he has Created. created, yeah. Why wouldn't you worship the person who made the sun as opposed to the sun itself? Absolutely, yeah. and I think it's because it, it, it's this is this is insane. This is so crazy to me. Um, it's like, why would you do such a thing? Mm. There is actually a, a verse in the Bible that describes this. Let's go to Romans chapter one. Do you want to go to Romans chapter one? And do you want to read um, verse twenty-five? Romans chapter one. And verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Yeah. So we can see here this process taking place of rejecting the God, the mm-hmm. creator, in in favor of the creation and the creature itself. It's like, whoa, man, as if you would do this. Like, why? What would compel you to do such a thing? And I think the clear and simple answer to this, to this insanity as to why you would do such an exchange, the clear and simple answer is the presence of sin. That's it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Contact us on 0491-064-669. Let's think about it this way. Um, Monica, if you all of a sudden, you know, just decide to worship me, let's say, and, you know, you, you, you decide that I'm an, I'm an entity worth being worshipped, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I don't think anyone is, right? It's only God who is, who is worthy of worship. I could make a joke here and say, oh, because I totally am, but it's just not true, yeah. and it will never be true that yeah. no person is worthy of worship. But let's say you start worshipping me, and I call you to holiness and perfection, uh-huh. Right, so I so I say, Monica, because you're a worshiper of me, I now want you to live a perfectly righteous life. Uh-huh. Do I have any grounds to be able to make that call? I mean, no, because you're not God. But yes, if you're the thing I worship. Yeah, but think about it. All right, so you're worshiping me. Uh-huh. You're a follower of me. Am I perfectly holy and righteous? No. No. So then, do I have the right to call you to perfection and holiness and righteousness? No. When I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's hypocrisy. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 deeply hypocrisy. It's it's really really terrible and it's really awful. If I called you to that level of perfection, um, 
it would be totally from a place of just delusion because it's not something that I'm even doing myself. And that's why in cults, uh, in, in cults that revolve around people, they portray themselves as, you know, as they, they manipulate their followers into thinking that they are infallible and yeah. perfect. You know, no cult leader will stand up there and say, well, well I'm just a person like you. And no, no, they specifically make themselves of greater importance and then kind of gaslight their audience into overlooking their mistakes and their failures. So what we see then clearly is that there is a need then um, to to call people, you know, in this context, it's like when you're, when you're trying to gain followership and whatnot, you call them to do certain things. But what God is calling us to do ultimately is repent. Yeah. There is no entity. There's the sun, the moon, the stars. They can't make that call. And that's why, if you see in the history of Greek philosophy, when they kind of review, this is you know going back to the sixth, seventh century BC, um, fifth, the seventh the to fifth century BC, when they kind of realize like, holy moly, the gods that we worship, being you know Zeus and all you know Hades and all these guys, they're kind of exactly the same as us. They're deeply flawed, and they're just terrible and people. And yeah. yeah, they're just super these messed up. Things. And for the high-minded philosophers, they're like, "Are these really gods worth worshiping? If anything, are they gods at all?" Like this was the big question yeah. that came up, and that's what really incited the movements of naturalism on one side, and then you had the response to naturalism by Plato and whatnot. So naturalists went on, although they had these personifications of the god, they're all about the natural earth, survival of the fittest. You know, these ideas were not founded under Darwin. Of course, the theory of evolution was founded under Darwin, but the idea of everything coming from the earth and naturalism and whatnot goes all the way back to those um, those philosophers in Greece because they were like, oh, well, surely it's not these gods who control everything. It must be Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side, you had the response to that um, from the likes of Plato and, and Aristotle and whatnot who were like, oh, no, there's, there's something higher. There is a higher form that is absolute and that, you know, that we have shapes and, and images of them. There must be something higher. And the outcome of that idea was essentially for, for Plato and the like was the unknowable God, which then in Acts chapter 17, we see um, uh, Paul have interaction with when, you know, he's in the Areopagus in the Areopagus in Athens, and he's looking at all the statues that are dedicated to the different gods, and he comes to the statue that's to the unknown God. The motivation to have an unknown God comes from the fact that there are laws in the universe that seem to exist for no reason. Mm. Why does gravity exist? Why does this exist? Why does that exist? There has to be something that is above the sun, the moon, and the stars and whatnot uh, in order to to understand, like, how, you know, there must be something above that that has formed and ordered this universe. There has to be something. But they, they weren't willing to take those steps to understand who it was. So they settled with, oh, well, you know, there is an unknown God who we don't know, but then there are all these other gods who are within the realm of the unknown God. Now, it would be for Christianity and for Paul when he, he rocks up there and he says, oh, well, the unknown God, that's none other than... And Yahweh, the God who has ordered and set everything. He's made the boundaries for dwelling. He has ordered the earth. He's put everything in it. Like, this is who God is. But 
what is it that God is requiring from us? And that's what Paul would go on to say. What, you know, all of these gods, sun, moon, and stars, they're looking for appeasement. You know, if you just give them stuff, then they'll be happy. What is God looking for? Oh, well, Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived, died, and resurrected to save you from your sins. And the requirement that he has is that of repentance and relationship. If you worship the sun, moon, and stars, you don't have to think about life that way. You don't have to think about, oh, uh, you don't have to be guilty or convicted and to overcome sin. No, it you makes just, no claims on you. Yeah, that's right. All you have to do, you can sin as much as you want. You just have to, you just have to, you know, give, you know, sacrifice your children or, or yeah. you know, give enough barrels of oil or something. That, that that's what the God's looking for. But He's not looking for repentance. Whereas the God of the Bible is looking for a change in life, a change in who you are. And so I really think it's like, oh, well, man, how was it that these people in Israel gave up their place and standing before God as a people who follow him, who have truly experienced his miracles and his power? Why did they give that up? Because the next step as a result of the miracles and powers that God is looking for is their repentance, is their change of hearts. We see this clearly in the story of Pharaoh, right? We see this interaction between God and the Pharaoh, and God continually shows him his amazing miracles to the point where Pharaoh is pressed enough to want to repent, and he's like, oh, fine, I'll let the people go. But then as soon as those miracles relent, it goes back to, well, actually... I don't want to repent. Mm. I don't want to give this up. I can see that you're the God who has the power over everything that makes Egypt, Egypt, the Nile River, you know, our food supply, our, you know, our heritage, even everything that makes Egypt, Egypt, you have power over it. Yet I won't give up. (laughs) I won't follow you. I won't repent because then I have to change. And then we think about end time deceptions. You know, we look at Babylon as as sun worship and and we look at but I believe that that was just a manifestation of this idea of wanting to have higher power because we all I, I, I heard a lyric of a song one time, it's um we won't survive without dependence on something. All of us have something that we need to rely on, whether mm. it's a higher power or money or whatever it may be. There is a quote unquote higher power in everyone's life, whether they claim that there is or not. We won't survive without dependence on something. That is just truly the case. And for the sake of our modern day, yes, it's not sun worship, but is there something, are are there things that we put above God and aspire to put above God and to serve rather than God? Because, you know, instead of calling us to um, repent, it, you know, ask something else from us, which is much easier to give. I think repentance is like one of the most difficult things you can do. Yeah. And so much so that the Bible calls it a miracle. Mm. Like to be able to repent and change your behavior and actions is something that is, I think, for the most part, impossible in and of ourselves. When we talk about overcoming sin, there's many decisions that we can make within our own autonomy. But when it comes to overcoming sin, we are, as people, addicted to sin. Yeah. We're totally trapped and stuck in this place of of following our hearts, which is just the worst thing ever. I mean, that is an end time manifestation. The uh, that pervasive idea of following your heart. That is a manifestation of what we're talking about in the end times. In all media, in all secular media that we see, it's like, hey, follow your heart. And it's like, actually, actually, no. When I follow my heart, it leads to sin and, and desperation and awfulness and mistakes and, and, mistakes and terribleness. Where, rather, I could follow God and, and repent and 
you know, overcome those things. Yeah, and the spirit of, spirit of prophecy actually tells us that repentance is a gift from God. Yeah. You know, E.G. Um, Wright writes, should repentance be another step in the way? Mm. And it's not. So you can actually ask for repentance. Mm. If, you, if you're like, I don't know how to generate that feeling myself, you don't have to ask for it. Yeah, oh, that's an amazing topic to discuss because in different Christian tradition, there is a few different views on, well, who incites repentance? Mm. Has God already selected everyone that would be saved um, to be saved and then forces you to repent? You know, that's from the perspective of the double predestination Calvinist who says that, yeah, God has selected everything. Or on the other side, you have the Arminian perspective that, oh, no, you you have the ability to repent. For, for a Pelagian, they say, you haven't been tainted by sin, so you can just choose to stop sinning whenever you want. It's a really interesting perspective. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we are going to have a fifth and final clue for the quiz this morning. Thank you, Monica. Um, <clears throat> I hate to tell you this, but there actually is no fifth and final clue. What are you talking about? The, this cl- this quiz is so hard. I guess this person is so um, uh, not well known, so obscure in the Bible that there just there, there just isn't another clue. There just isn't one. Yeah, let me see if I can Google. Wait, one. show me. Yeah, can I have a- he was a, okay. This person was a servant of the Jewish high priest Caiaphas. Who participated in the arrest of Jesus? There you go. That's your next clue. Okay. We already knew that, though, because the card said so. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. He was present in the arrest of Jesus. That's what the card No, I said he's a servant of the Jewish high priest Caiaphas Ah. who participated in the arrest of Jesus. Okay. Doesn't it say that on the card already? No, it doesn't. Didn't we hear that? No. (laughs) (laughs) He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. Well, hey, if you know who this is, 0491-064-669. We've got some people getting it correct now. And his name in Greek means counsellor. Ah. There you go. Just dropping clues left, right, and center here. Hey, we're we're really trying to help these people. He's not a soldier. He's not a soldier. He was not armed. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, there you go. He was clearly not wearing a helmet, otherwise he probably wouldn't have lost his ear. (laughs) 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 Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, you'll go into the drawer to win Food as Medicine by Sue Rad. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. And, Monica, crack that Bible open. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter Hebrew. 8. Hebrews <laughs> chapter 8. And we're going to be beginning, let's see. We're going to start in... Let's start in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Mm, amazing. So this is the Bible describing what the new covenant is. And there is definitely a Bible study there to see that the new covenant is actually the eternal covenant, the old covenant, and that there was, the reason there was a quote-unquote old covenant that needed to be replaced was because it was a covenant where humans came up with the terms. There's, there's a whole question. There's, there's lots there. But essentially what we see here is that the promise from God is that he will write laws, the laws, on our hearts, and on our minds. Mm. This is fantastic because for some reason we're really bad at keeping the laws. <laughs> well, the presence of sin in our life has 
taken away our ability to it's weakened us. It's it's absolutely weakened us. Now I mentioned the word before we went into that song, the Pelagian. Now the Pelagian controversy was something that took place in the fourth century AD, and it involved a guy named. Pelagius, and another guy named uh, Augustine. Augustine being a much more famous name, an incredibly famous um, you know, uh, theologian and interpreter of the Bible from his time. Augustinian theology has seen you know, its effects right throughout history. But anyway, Pelagian would say that a human's nature has not been tainted by sin, and you have the ability to just choose not to. And Augustine fought heavily against this. He's like, mm-hmm. no, this isn't biblical. The Bible is clear. We have been turned towards sin. Our nature has been affected. And therefore, we need to go to God. God is the one who enables us to be able to you know, repent and to find forgiveness. And so there was this controversy amongst them over this idea. Now, I don't necessarily then completely subscribe to Augustine's eventual outcome of this because Augustine would say, oh, repentance is, yes, so much a work of God to the point where you can't even choose it. Um, God has decided who will repent and, you know, bestows upon you what that is. And he would kind of be the author of what we call unilateral predestination, which is the idea that God has, from his perspective, already selected predestined who would be saved. Now, this is a sentiment that I definitely don't agree with because I think that it attacks the notion or the idea of human free will. Yeah. What I believe we see in the Bible is this situation in which we are completely tainted by sin. And the Bible makes it clear. It says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopards change his spots? You know, neither can you stop sinning who are accustomed to sin. That's the book of Jeremiah there. So we are completely bound in sin. We're tangled up, you know, we're, we're hogtied, we're roped up, we can't move, we're, our limbs are caught, we're, you know, we're, we're doing an Absalom, our hair is caught in the trees, and mm. we're just completely stuck in this situation. And the decision that we could make it in ourselves, like, I'm going to stop sinning, and then we stop sinning, is, is impossible. The idea of sinless perfection in our own merit and strength is something that is not within our reach or grasp and never will be. That's just the case. But what the Bible is offering here, the solution that the Bible offers is that God would write the laws on your heart. He would write them on your mind. This is the covenant. This is the promise that I will make with the house of Israel over those days. Now, this is a passage where uh, you have... Um, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, quoting from the Old Testament and applying it to the Christian church. And he's saying, hey, this is the promise that God has given us. He will write the laws on our hearts and on our minds. But how is it that that takes place? You know, how do we get the laws written on our hearts and minds? You know, how are we compelled by God to be able to, you know, to receive this writing of the law so we'd be able to follow him? Well, the Bible makes it absolutely clear. We need to ask him. We know that the work of repentance and conviction comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is absolutely clear. Do you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Ask. Amen. All who ask will 
receive. This is what the Bible says. The thing that determines, again, we're talking about end time deception. It's like, oh, some people end up saved. Some people end up lost. Some people will go to heaven. Other people won't. It's like the difference there at the end of the day is a choice, a choice to receive Jesus truly, a choice to receive his Holy Spirit and to be led by that Holy Spirit to stand as faithful followers of of Jesus, of God, as people who the Bible describes as keeping the commandments of God and having the testimony of Jesus, of having no deceit found in them before the throne of God. How do we get to that place? Well, it is 100% a work of God that we, with the great, amazing free choice that God has given us, we have the opportunity and the ability to subscribe to. God isn't trying to force our hand to do something we don't want to do, but he has lived, died, and resurrected, and he's shown us through creation. He's compelled us. He said, hey... Guys, I've done it all. Come to me. And so we can then be absolutely sure when we go to God that uh, he will be a keeper of his promises. As the Bible says as well, um, you know, he who has started a work in you will not finish it until the end. God is continually working in us. And yeah, what does that track look like? Yeah, sometimes we sin. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we stop making that decision to have the law written on our hearts. We stop asking God for the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we fall. But regardless of that falling, we can always go back to Jesus and receive him from the very beginning of creation, which he did by speaking. He spoke it and it was done. He is wanting to work in your life today through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is wanting to change you, to make you more than you are, to make you a true follower of him rather than, you know, to languish in sin. This is the opportunity that you have. And and the outcome of that just truly and simply is a better life, a life better lived. You know, I talk with my family about this. I have friends who aren't Christian and they ask me, oh, Lawson, you made a decision, say, to stop drinking or, oh, Lawson, you made a decision, say, to, you know, uh, not engage in premarital sex, you know, these these kinds of things, these changes that you make when you become a follower of Jesus. It's like, oh, so you do that because God has asked you to. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, because God asked me to. But as a result of God asking me to, my life is a thousand times better. Mm. Like I am so much more happy and peaceful and I'm living my best life truly because I'm giving everything to God and letting him work in my life. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Hey, uh, we have answers for the quiz. Yes, indeed. Um, help me pronounce this, Lawson. The who am I answer is Malchus. 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 Yeah. Uh, so he, um, my relative, a servant of the high priest, challenged Peter saying, didn't you see, didn't I see you with him in the Oil's Grove? Uh, though the event for which Malchus is known occurs in all folk, occurs, goodness me, occurs in all four Gospels. Only John's account gives Malchus's name. Uh, Malchus was one of those who went to seize and arrest Jesus. Simon Peter cut off Malchus's ear with his sword. Um, his name obviously begins with the letter M. Uh, he was, Malchus was the servant of the Jewish high priest Caiaphas, who participated in the arrest of Jesus. Um, and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with uh, Jesus when he got arrested. Mm. I love the story of Malchus. I think it's quite funny because oh, he's... It actually comes at a very tragic time in right. biblical history. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating blood. Like, he's perspirating blood from... Because the, the curse of sin has been fully laid on him. The entirety mm. of the sins of the world on a sinless person has mm. been laid on him, and he's preparing to go to the cross. Malchus shows up, and it, he being informed by Judas, so Jesus' betrayal comes. And though Jesus, at this point, he's ready to go. Like, he, he's ready to get this thing done and ready to, to jump on the cross. And you've got Peter's response is like, 
Okay, it's time. Again, after three and a half years of being with Jesus, after the embarrassment Still of... doesn't get Yeah, it. after the embarrassment of, you know, being told by Jesus that, oh, you're actually a servant of Satan, like, all these kinds of things. Like, stop being such a wild guy. Peter gets up with a sword and cuts Malchus's ear off, just lops that thing. Uh, and Jesus' response is easily just, just one of the... It's... It's really shocking, but it also shows where Jesus is at, what he's ready to do, and what he believes his mission to be. Because Jesus is just like, Peter, you know, if I needed protection... He actually heals Malchus's ear, by the way. Which, imagine you're coming to, like, arrest a guy for falsely claiming to be the son of God, and then he just heals your ear after one of his his own followers cuts it off and says, oh, sorry about that. Like, you would be just dumbfounded mm. but heals his ear and he says peter listen like if i if i needed a swordsman like i could call down angels, angels. from heaven like the and these angels think about the power of one angel how many people are one angel just like wiped out dude i could call down 12 legions of angels from heaven i could empty heaven with angels to just take everyone out but peter that's not what i need right now Malchus is here to do a job. He's here to take me to my death. That will save the world. And so, if anything, Malchus, although I guess being commanded by the high priest and the Jewish nation, who was definitely in rebellion, is kind of, you could say, a catalyst that enables Jesus to be able to fulfill his mission. He acts as that as that person that, that takes Jesus, you know, to the high priest for his trial, where he is then tried guilty, um, you know, falsely. And, and put on the cross. But I love that, that even in a time, like think about who Malchus is. Malchus represents like the person who is bringing Jesus to his death. Like you could say from any other perspective, you'd say, oh, that's Jesus's greatest enemy then. You know, in the story of say like an Anne Frank when she's hiding in the cupboard and, and uh, the German soldiers show up, you know, it's like that. that's who Malchus represents. But in Jesus's case, he's like, heals this guy's ear goes along peacefully and receives the death um, that would save the world. And I, I think then Malchus is kind of a character who would work to reveal Jesus's character the most, his character as a loving, caring, compassionate God who was there for people in spite of their rebellion. And even, you know, we don't know any other information about Malchus. I think having gone through a miracle like that, I hope that he repented and we'd be able to talk to him in heaven. What, what was it there to be? What was it like to be in Gethsemane? You know, what, what was that situation like? We, it'll stand to reason. We'll be able to see. Uh, we'll be able to see when we, when we get there. But hey, let us know your thoughts. Uh, 0491-064-669. Yeah, be the first caller or text us through and you'll be able to win this prize. Monica, what are you getting up to today? Same thing every time you ask me. No, but it might be something special. I'm going to try and cut my hair as well as go. Oh, can I cut your hair? Uh, only if you can cut it properly. Yeah, oh man, I'm a fantastic hairdresser. I'm scared. Hey, you're listening <laughs> to The Breakfast Show. Guys, remember to talk faith, to live faith, and to act faith, and you'll grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.